sure what which verse I'm holding to, but anyway, uh, I was wanting to say something about uh, what was told to William Carey to sit down when God wants to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help. And at first glance, kind of seems like he's saying something good in the sense of saying, you know, God doesn't need your help, and he's powerful and things like that, but you know, that's the Calvinist would say, you know, if God wants a revival, he'll make one. If God wants someone to convert, he'll, he'll make him convert. And the Bible says that he wants everyone to convert. He's not willing that anyone should perish. But people do perish. So it's not, it's not that God isn't powerful. It's that if he forced someone to choose, that's not forcing them to choose. That's taking away their choice. Does God want the love of someone who would hate him if they got the choice? That doesn't make any sense at all. When you think about it, it's a, it is a weird thing that they're saying, like, God will do it without your help. So, they're basically saying that God will do good, and God's doing good, so therefore we don't have to. We don't have to do good. Which doesn't make any sense at all. We should be trying to be holy as God is holy. Even if it didn't make any difference at all, we should be doing it because that's what God is doing. So, um, not another thing is that um, the person has a choice, and God gives them a choice. He makes people, um, he gives people life. He sendeth the rain on the just, on the unjust, and the unjust, knowing that some of them will choose to be evil, to reject the goodness that he gives to them. Um, and they don't, they don't have any excuse for that. You know, God says, the Bible says, that the invisible things of God are clearly seen, and they have no excuse. But God still wrote the Bible. He still gave it to them. He's still trying to win them. And so they don't have any excuse, but he's still trying to win them. So that's what I think we should be doing too. We should be trying to get the Bible to them. And you know, the whole, whole Bible, everything that God has given to us, we should be, tr- we should be trying to give to all people because the Bible is for every person that's, er- that's, on, the plan- that's on the planet. Um, but people may choose not to listen to the you know, the testimony, you can say, of the things that are made and make the invisible things of God clearly seen, but they may listen to us. That's also their choice. Like God says about the the unbelieving husband, if if, if their wife um, is saved, gets, gets saved, um, he tells them specifically to live in, in chaste conversation coupled with fear so that if the, their husband's aren't won by the word of God, they may be won by the conversation of their wives. God is basically saying, they may, they, they may not listen to me. That's their choice. I can't force them to listen to me. That, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be them listening to me. But they may listen to you. They may choose to listen to you. And so we, we can't, that, that is an opportunity that, that we have to serve God. So in, in a sense, it's not a question of whether God is powerful and can force someone to change. But if, if we have an opportunity to serve him, then you know, we, we should take it. Uh, this is uh, a split decision, so if you would, if you want to turn your uh, Bibles uh, to, um, to Acts.
chapter 16, verse uh, 9 and 10. And if I have time, I'll, uh, I'll get to that. Have you ever felt hesitant to share the gospel because the other person simply would not be interested? Have you ever sensed the Lord leading you to witness to someone but you heard a small voice telling you you'll only start an argument? Or have you been slow to share your faith because you didn't feel you had the gift of evangelism and witnessing is better left to those with the gift? Those are emotions that every Christian has felt at one time or another. I certainly have struggled with them. My life was empty before someone shared Jesus with me. I'm so happy someone shared the complete gospel with me. Because I would not be here today if God didn't send the Christ love and faith and pastor down my path. God could have spared us all of our troubles, heartaches and trials by catching us up to glory the moment we were saved if he wanted. But he didn't. Why? Because he left us here to grow, to witness for him, to tell others about Jesus Christ, and to have a burden for the lost souls of mankind. Have you ever lost one of your children, even for a split second? You were in a shopping center, and you were shopping in a crowded shopping center. Your little boy or girl slips their hand out of yours and runs to the toy store window. The crowd suddenly swells, and in that moment you lose sight of your child. They're gone, lost. Do you remember that empty, sick feeling in the pit of your stomach? Adrenaline began to flow. You scurried into action, frankly searching to find your lost child. Can you remember the relief, the sheer joy, when you found him or her? Your plans to scald him or her to leave your side were washed away with joyous tears down Shinzo's nose. If we feel so intensively that one of our children is lost for only a moment, how must our heavenly father feel when he sees one of his children facing the prospect of being lost for eternity? God cares about the lost. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 9. Remember the rich man who died and woke up in hell and begged for someone to go and tell his brothers. I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into the place of torment. There is the cry from beneath. If you and I could hear the cries of the people in a lost eternity right now, we'd realize how important it is to get the gospel out. This remains a great challenge for Christians each and every day. Beyond the comfort zone of many, the Holy Spirit is at work, both in the hearts of the hungry and in the hearts of those who are willing to take the message. 
the depression remains? When will we go beyond our comfort zone in our giving, in our work, in our prayer, and in our concern for other people? Satan is still active, and I dare say that he's more active than Christians today. He's propagating his lies and reaping in the souls that we are out to be reaping. And he is more diligent in his work to win souls than we are in ours. That's the greatest tragedy. We are out to be spreading the word of God. We have something that is so valuable. And we see how needy the world is of the gospel. And we don't share it. How selfish are we? Christians must fall to, to their knees until we can recognize that the harvest is upon us and laborers are needed now more than ever. In, chapter, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 9 and 10 it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately he endeavored to... He endeavored... Um, to go into Macedonia assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them Paul had a supernatural vision of a man beckoning come over into Macedonia help us we don't need a vision today in the sense of a supernatural experience like Paul had here but we do need a vision in the sense of having a mission a goal, a direction for our church and for our lives Paul had a passion for lost souls. He should be the example for every Christian. God used Paul to save many people, and that shows that God can use anyone. Any trials that one has had should drive him or her even more to share God's truth and save people from hell. He traveled the world just to give out the gospel. No man's life in history compares to the sort of life that Paul had for Christ. He saw the need of the Gentile nation for Christ. Then he followed God's command and saw thousands of sinners saved. If Christians now could have the vision that Paul had, there would be much less of a need. But we've got to realize that there's a command from above. It says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Have you heard that? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This was the last thing Jesus said before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He could have said anything, but that's what he chose to say because that was was important to him. And that's what was on his heart, was the salvation of souls. It's the reason why Jesus came, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. That was the purpose of his life. That's what was his mission was to accomplish. That command was not just for men and women who were called to the missionary field. His command was for everyday Christians to share the gospel. It is the responsibility of every believer to seek the lost. God sent someone to seek each one of us. Someone prayed for us. And then someone shared the good news with us. Souls were so valuable that Christ gave his own life for it. Lost souls should also be valuable to us that we go and deliver the good news to the lost and dying world. We are to be instruments in the hands of the Lord for the salvation of souls. 
If we are not faithful in the work to reach the lost with the good news, then there are souls that will suffer as a consequence. I'm going to skip to the conclusion. So there is no time for delay or hesitation in our obedience to the Great Commission. Lives and souls are at stake. Alia stood on the beach, holding her tiny infant, sung close to her heart. Tears welled in her eyes as she began slowly walking toward the river's edge. She stepped into the water, silently making her way out until she was waist deep. The water gently lapping at the baby's at the sleeping baby's feet. She stood there for a long time, holding the child tightly as she started as she stared out across the river. Then all of a sudden, in one quick movement, she threw the six month old baby to his watery death. Missionary Verghese, off the witnesses among the crowds who gather at the gangs. It was he who came upon Alia that night, kneeling in the sand, crying uncontrollably and beating her breast. With compassion, he knelt down next to her and asked her what was wrong. Through the sobs, he told him, the problems in my home are too many and my sins are heavy on my heart. So I offered the best I have so, oh yeah. so I offer the best I have to the godless gangs, my firstborn son. Brother Vargi's heart ached for the desperate woman. As she wept, he gently began to tell her about the love of Jesus and that through him her sins could be forgiven. She looked at him strangely. I've never heard that before. She replied through her tears. Why couldn't you have come 30 minutes earlier? If you did, my child would have had would not have had to die. Each year, millions of people come to the holy Indian city of hard work to bathe in the river gangs. These multitudes came believing this Hindu vital will wash their sins away. For many people like Alia, missionaries are arriving too late, simply because there aren't enough of these faithful brothers and sisters on the mission field. We have all the reasons that we need to make the decision to reach out to those in a lost dying world. Do we really believe that God wants to pour out his spirit upon the lost in our world? Do we really believe that this church can become a church filled with people who actively scatter the seeds of the gospel every day? It's time to take the word of God seriously. God means what he says. It is time for us to wake up. It's time for us to share, to share Christ to this dying, lost world. It is my passionate, heartfelt desire see God change lives, hearts and lives in every community. And I pray he will stir the same desire in you. Today we're living in a world that is steadily moving away from the one true God. We say we're in the last days. Well, as far as I can tell, I think Christ's return is imminent. And it's an urgent time that we live in. But we do live in very, very wicked times. Scripture tells us it was in the days of Noah. You know, that's what it's going to be like in the days of the Son of Man. I think we're almost there. Um, in the days of Noah, they did everything that was right in their own eyes. They did everything in their own imagination. You know, we can imagine things. We can imagine in our head that we're angry with someone. We want to kill them. We're waking up and we go, 
or they might want to kill them. But back in the days of Noah, if it was in the imagination, they did it. So what's it like now? Well, let me just have you a quick list that I just did off the top of my head. We've got same-sex marriage with three people in a marriage and two women have a relationship with each other with homosexuals adopting children, with children deciding, and not just adults deciding on sex change, uh, people who feel they're a different sex. I don't know what some of these mean. LGBTQ, trans sex, fluid sex, homosex, and of no sex. That's the weirdest thing. I, I, sorry, I don't understand some of this stuff, but I read about it. We have children out of control, and um, you're not allowed to use spanking or otherwise. And these children are out of control. By being out of control, they're in control. We have girl gangs, boy gangs, controlling estates. With young people who don't know how to give up a seat on a bus to an older person. They lack manners and respect. With neighbours increasingly fighting with each other. With road rage, there's internet porn out of control, sex traffickers, people traffickers. Religious cults are everywhere. Church of Satan, I just read of this, the Church of Satan saying opening prayers in a government in one of the states in America. There's murder in hospital. It's called abortion. Countries encouraging sick and old to end their lives. And women, like never before in modern history, are being sexually attacked. Atheism, liberalism is growing so fast that they're having a major impact on our world. This is not a full list of evil in the world. But you know, you don't have to be doing things like that to be a sinner. See, if you leave work five minutes early... You stole time off your boss. Broke one of the Ten Commandments. If you say a cross word to one of your parents, you've dishonored them. You've broken again one of the Ten Commandments. So it doesn't take much. It's too easy to be a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that glory just means no one can meet God's standards. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. That is what the scriptures tell us. And it's already been said, and because it's about missions, you'll hear the same verses over. It says, but scripture tells us in Isaiah, God is not willing that any should perish. John 3.18, he who believes is not condemned. That's us. That's me that believes. I'm not condemned. Um, I was on the road to hell, but then I got saved. I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've been saved from, and like most of you, saved from the coming wrath of God. But John 3.18, but he that believeth not, and here it is, is condemned already. Because he that not believeth in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So all who have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're already on their way to hell. So the sinner is what? It's an unbeliever. So God creates, and this is what I like, God creates a way of salvation. That's extremely important to God. It's so important that he gave his own dear son for sinners. John 3.16 For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then in Matthew 12 and 11 it tells us that he came to seek and to save. Matthew 12.21 And in his name we shall trust. You see, I trusted in the name of Christ over roughly 36 years ago. John 5.24 Verily, verily I say unto you he that heareth my word and believeth in him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death into life. So Romans 10. Let me just turn to Romans 10. I like Romans 10. One of my favorite passages. Just let me read these for you. Uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, thou shalt be raised, um, raised in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... 
man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture, the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a matter of fact. How then shall they call in him and whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him and whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We've heard about all the missionaries. We've heard about our own missionaries. We've heard it tonight about the need to hear the word of God. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Memory verse this morning. And they, but they that uh, have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah saith, Lord, who have believed our report? Do you know, sometimes you go in the doors and you get it slammed in your face. They're not turning away at you. It's not you that they're rejecting. It's Christ and his salvation that people are rejecting. So we don't take it personally when people don't listen to us. Just like my sister who thinks, Eric, that's all a load of bleep bleep. And I spoke to her for 20 minutes. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I prayed pretty hard that God would help me witness to my mother. I did it the last time I was up and I got to show her the scriptures and read from the scriptures. First time ever she let me do that with her. I don't want my mother to go to hell. I don't want my dad to go to hell or my sister or brother-in-law and all their family. I don't want anyone to go to hell. But you know what? He who does not believe is already condemned. They're already condemned. They're getting hell. They deserve hell. They're already condemned. But if God can send his son, he can send me, he can send anybody to preach the good news if they need to hear the good news. Brothers and sisters, we've got to try and help save as many people as possible from hell. And as Andrew had said, I want to hear at the end of time, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Do you want to hear that? Last chance, if anyone else wants to stand up and say anything. Last chance. All right, Dean, come on up. I was going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, O oh God. I thank you for this opportunity to preach, Father. But uh, every time I come up and preach, I just know... I'm not worthy to do it. I can't do it without your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I plead with you for your Holy Spirit to come down upon me, to empower me, to preach your word, and just to do as you command me to do, and not preach what I think or feel or, you know, I guess I want to preach, Lord. But let me just do what you command me to do, Father, that even whatever I've written down, Lord, change it, Lord God, that I'll do what you want me to do, Father, that whatever I will say tonight will just have an impact on the on your people, Lord, that will encourage them and be a blessing to them, dearly, Father. Lord, I ask you these things that be thy will. For in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn to Exodus chapter 2? Exodus chapter 2. And verse 11. So the title, the title of my message is The Unqualified Missionary. So if you have your Bibles, you have Exodus chapter 2 verse 11. It says... And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied on an Egyptian smiting the Hebrew, one of his brethren. 
And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews drove together, and he said to them that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared, and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and filled troughs to water their father's flock. So don't go anywhere. I'm going to be in Exodus, in the book of Exodus for most of my message. But my introduction is, a missionary is an ordinary person. Okay, They're not something spectacular. You know, They don't come with shiny clothes saying, hey, I'm a missionary. They're normal people. But every missionary is called, just like every Christian is. But see, even, even if they are a Christian or a missionary, we're all unqualified. No one can really stand up here and say, look at me. I know what I'm doing. I'm wearing a shirt and tie. I'm definitely better than the rest of you. No, I can't. Because see, let me tell you something a little bit of background about Moses. See, Moses was, was not really supposed to be in Egypt, right? He was a Hebrew, meant to be born with Israel, being, being with his own family. But we all know his mom had to take him. Things were going bad. He puts him in a basket. He goes flowing down a river. And then, you know, Pharaoh's daughter is cleaning herself. And then she sees this basket. She's like, what's going on here? Opens the basket, finds a baby, and then takes the baby in. And obviously then Moses' mother comes back and starts raising him and teaching him and so on. But realistically, it's kind of like, it was almost like as if he was born a missionary. It was just kind of strange. He was like, went from his own country to a completely different country entirely. But that's really cool. But see, my first point is a homegrown missionary. See, Exodus chapter 2 in verse 11 and 12, it says, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied on an Egyptian, smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. When he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and had hit him in the sand. See, Moses felt the need to help his brethren. He saw a situation and he was like, what's going on here? So it's like this. Moses is kind of hiding in some place and he sees one of his brethren being like beaten up. So it's like, they're obviously under captivity, so they're slaves in Egypt. So they're seeing some of his, his brethren, bam, bam. He's like, whoa, this is really bad. What's going on? So he looks this way, looks that way. And he like kills him. So he's like gone. And then he's like, whoa, what do I do? And buries him in the sand. We see, he saw us, he saw a need, and he went to, and he went and met us. We see, how can you go to another country and see their needs, but you can't tell people in church? Think about it. It's like, I want to help people in another country. And I want God to call me to those countries, help those people, and of course, they need to hear the gospel, they need to know the truth. But I see Gavin broken in church and problems, and I ignore it. But God has called me, he's called me to a different country to preach the gospel, but he hasn't called me to help Gavin. Okay? It doesn't work that way. Of course it doesn't, right? Does that make sense? It doesn't. But yet, that's what we think. God expects us to do what we do here, do it well, and then go to another country if God calls us to. Brother Andrew had to do what he had to do in America, send him Brother Dan, so he could do it here. If he didn't, it wouldn't make sense. It couldn't, you can't do what you don't do here in another country. My mom told me before, like, teaching me, once you teach me about eating food, like, using your food, using your fork and knife, if I don't do it here, I'm not going to do it in a different country, in someone else's house, just because I'm in front of the queen. I'm not going to. I'm going to be, like, munching away. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do it normally unless I'm taught it, unless I do it here. But see, the thing is that in Ephesians 4.32, it says, But be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even if God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. See, you've got to be kind to one another, and then if God calls you, you can praise God. 
Because sometimes you're going to do what he wants you to do. But if you can't do it here, what's the point? Are you sure you really were called? Because you have to do it here. You've got to take care of the brethren. You can't cry and be sorrowful for a brother for Dali. He's doing what God wants him to do. But God wants you to do what you're doing here. And see, you must understand that the serve, when you're serving God, you've got to do everything in his name. You're doing it for his glory. It's not for yourself. Otherwise, you're just like any other religion. Just going with the flow. Doing what everyone else does. There has to be a reason. Because religion is just doing do, 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 do. Why? I have no idea. I'm just doing it. No purpose. Why do you make a sign of the cross? I just do it. You're just doing it. But for when you're serving Christ, there's a reason. There's a purpose behind it. You have to do it because what Christ has done for you and you want to make a difference. You see, if you go in Ephesians chapter 3, and my second point is on an unexpected calling. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. So it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and it came to mention of God, to, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned, burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will not, now I will not turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not, draw not, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou on standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know the sorrows, and I am come to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt, out of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land unto a good land, and large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the last place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold the cry of the children of Israel to come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression of wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And watch this. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly. I will be with thee, and there shall be a token unto thee. And I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God upon the mountain. So Moses gets an unusual greeting card from a bush. Okay, It's not a normal bush. It's on fire. It's weird, and it's not withering away. It's like, what's going on here? Moses is called to do something that he wouldn't expect. Because see, when we look in the previous chapter, Moses has killed a man, correct? This guy is dead, gone. See you later. You're standing before God. You're being judged. And he's running for his life. He's gone. He's like, whoa, whoa, I killed the man. And Pharaoh's after me. Bye. See you later. I'm gone. See you. Bye. He's gone away. Then all of a sudden, God says to him, I want you to go back. No, 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 no. Can't be me. Who am I? What? Me? No, no, no. I killed the man. Pharaoh wants to get rid of my head. Ah, I can't go back. But you look, it's kind of interesting. He says to God, who am I? that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who are we? Who am I? Am I something special because I wear a shirt and tie and I stand here and I preach? I'm not. But the thing is that, what's amazing is verse 12, he says, certainly I will be with thee and it should be a token unto thee that I've sent thee when I was brought forth the people out of Egypt. This was something he was, it was a guaranteed thing. When you brought them out of Egypt, it's something that you're going to do. When God actually calls you, he makes it happen. He makes things known. It's going to happen. It's not. It's just a matter of trusting Him. Just let. Just trust God. 
Because clearly, I will always say, who am I? Honestly, who am I? I'm just a kid born in Ireland who has a funny accent. That's who I am. But yes, Christ has used me to affect different people. But who am I? Am I somehow better than Brother Dan? Or is he better than me? Is Brother Andrew better than me? No. But Christ has used us in different ways because he's called us for a certain purpose. Because you see, if you go back to verse 9 to 11, Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel to come unto me. And I've also seen your oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. So God actually sees problems. He sees the need for missionaries. He sees places where God needs, where people need to hear the gospel. He sees it. He goes in verse 10, Now come therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God wants to certain call certain people. God could literally go out of nowhere. I'm going to walk all the way back here. I'm going to go by the God of everyone in the entire room. He didn't call Brother Dan. He didn't call Gavin. He didn't call Dean. He didn't call Brother Tony. He called Nathan. So he's saying, Come. Are you going to do it? Are you going to accept the call? Are you going to do what I ask you to do? See, I know it's hard to do what God wants us to do. A lot of the times. Especially when we look at ourselves and we say, like Moses, how can you call me? Look at me. I can't do it. But God wants us to do it. And see, my third point is, not every missionary accepts the calling without excuses. There's always going to be excuses. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, uh, I have to be quick. Basically, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you're not gonna read it. You can read it yourself. Okay. But in Exodus chapter 4, verse 3, he's giving an excuse. He says, But Lord, how can I go? How can I do this? What if they don't believe? What happens then? What happens then? What can I do? What if they don't believe? And God's like, I'll take care of it. Just use your staff and throw it on the ground and turn to serpent. They'll believe. Okay, 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 cool, cool. But I don't speak very well. I kind of stammer. I don't really speak, you know, elegantly. You know, and I'm not really that well-spoken. And God clearly just says to him in verse um, in verse 11, he says, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or make it the dumb, or deaf, or seen, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? You see, the point is, don't just simply say, I can't do God's will, I can't be a missionary. You know why? Because of my little problem. Because God said, who's made your mouth? Who made you? Is it not the same God? So if God wants to call Nathan over Barry, he's going to call Nathan over Barry, regardless of whatever it is. Now, to be honest, they're pretty similar. So like, you know, maybe he might call someone else. <laughs> but to be honest, whoever it may be, he's going to choose you for a specific reason. Why? Because he knows you have to do this because no one else can. And if you trust God and allow him to lead you, then he'll help you and guide you. But my conclusion is simply this. When and if God calls you to do it, and preach the gospel. The gospel must be preached. But you just got to go and do it. Regardless of your problems, regardless of your individuality, regardless of little problems you may go through, God calls you. Whether you're American, whether you're Nigerian, whether you're whoever you are, if God calls you, just go. Because if you're in the will of God, God will help you and take you and make you qualify. Because God doesn't actually ask you to be qualified. He asks you to be dependent. Dependent on Him. And He'll help you. So when you get there, Brother Andrew may not have been the well-spoken person back in the day, but he is now. He may not have been so comfortable giving preaching, but he is now. And he still trusts God. You know why? Because he depended on God and then answered the call. Just like the rest of us. We may feel worried and scared, but depend on God. Because honestly, this world needs the truth, needs the gospel, and needs us to depend on God. Because you know what? 
I was able to give a speech in front of a, a group of people who are a bunch of from my classmates, from their parents, from their families, and I did it with fear. But you know what? I depended on God, and when I did it, I changed people. I softened their hearts. They were thanking me because of what I said, not because of who I am, but because of what Christ sees me to be. So, simple things: be like Moses, depend on God, even when it seems impossible, when it seems so difficult. Just depend on Him. And that's it.